This is episode number 110, The Ultimate Guide to Stage Racing. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. And guys, I just want to say thank you so much for hanging out with me and for sharing the show with your friends. I've noticed that a bunch of you have been sharing in your Instagram stories some of your favorite episodes this week, and it's very much appreciated. And it's super cool to see you guys really enjoying the episodes. Today's episode is a solo episode with me so that I can share everything I know about stage racing. For those of you who aren't familiar with me or my racing, I'm one of the most experienced stage racers in the world, and I've done more than 35 stage races on almost every continent in 15 plus countries. And I've done enduro stage racing, XC stage racing, ultra endurance stage racing, and I've had some really good results that I'm really proud of from around the globe. I've been stage racing for about a decade. And for those of you who don't know what stage racing is, it is multi-day racing. So you can have a stage race as short as two to three days, and you can have one upwards of the longest I've done is 10 days. And how it works is there's a set start and finish every single day. And whoever has the fastest cumulative time over the length of the race wins the overall race. We're going to get into a lot today from how to train, nutrition, how to pick a stage race, the different types of stage races, how to pack for a stage race, how to race as a team. There is a lot of information and I can't wait to share everything that I've learned with you. And a lot of you have submitted questions on my Facebook, which is Sonia Looney. It's an athlete page on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. So thanks so much to you guys for submitting your questions. That way I can really focus on the things that are really of question for you. Before we get into it, a couple of announcements to make. I have my brand new Moxie and Grit socks coming out very soon. You can pre-order them on moxieandgrit.com. That's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. We have Majestic Beast Walrus socks. We have Classy as F Mustache Argyle socks. And we have some really fun Team Unicorn socks. So go check those out. Order a couple of pairs if you want or if you want to have your own flair going on this summer on your rides. I wanted to say thank you to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. And Kuat, I met in Arkansas and I was at this race called the Washita. And if you haven't checked out the Washita Challenge, it's a really cool race. Arkansas has really great trails and they were just starting out and it's been really cool to see the brand grow and evolve, but it's still a really good feeling company. Like if you go to their website, it feels like that you're really getting to know the people that own the company. There's a lot of personality that comes out in their copy on the website. The products are super awesome. They make hitch racks, they make roof mounted racks, and they also make racks for all of your outdoor needs, including kayaks and ski gear and things like that. So go to kuatracks.com, K-U-A-T racks.com and check those guys out. And one more thing is thanks to those of you who have purchased my cookbook, the Plant Power Tribe Cookbook. There are about 25 recipes that are really easy to make. They're delicious. 
and they will make you feel good on your bike and off the bike as well. And it's been fun seeing you guys cooking the meals, taking pictures of them and just enjoying them. And even if you're not plant-based or vegan, you don't have to be a vegan to make those meals. They're super good. And I won't even be offended if you want to throw some of your own flair into the recipes, whether it be a meat product, whether it be whatever you want. But it's a good baseline. It's a good place to start with a healthy diet. You can also get that at moxieandgrit.com. I'm working on a Plant Power Tribe website, but it's going to be a while before that is up and running. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. I've added a second episode called Crush It Mondays, where I bring to you a contemplation, a habit, or message to get your week off to a powerful start. And I'm really glad you guys have been enjoying that. All right, so let's get into stage racing. I'm going to keep this as smooth as possible and try not to jump around too much, but there's a lot of information and you guys sent in a lot of awesome questions. So I will do my best to stay on track as much as possible. So there's a lot of different types of stage racing. It's really blown up across the world. My very first stage race was the Breck Epic in Breckenridge, Colorado. And I think that was in 2009. So there are two types of stage races based on location. And we'll start with location. There are stage races that are a point to point format, meaning you don't stay in the same place for the entire race. Sometimes you'll have one or two nights or up to even three nights in one location, but you end up having to pack up and move on. So the stages, some of them will be point to point, meaning you don't start and finish at the same place. And sometimes in some of these stage races, they'll mix in some days where you start and finish in the same location. But overall, there's a lot more logistics and packing and and other things going on whenever you're doing a point to point stage race. And then there are stage races that are located in just one location. And the Breck Epic is a great example of that. The Transylvania Epic in Pennsylvania is another stage race that starts and finishes in the same place every day. And logistically, these are the easiest because you don't have to worry about moving. It can be kind of stressful to have to pack up all your stuff. And oftentimes in the point-to-point stage races, which actually most are point-to-point stage races, you have to get a bag or the race will provide a bag and everything has to fit in that bag. And you also have to be strong enough to carry that bag to wherever all the bags are transported. So the race will transport your luggage for you and then you're responsible for picking it up again. And you can't have too much extra stuff. And a lot of times with point-to-point stage races, you're not staying in hotels, you're staying in tent villages. And we'll get into that more later. I noticed that in the last few years, some point-to-point stage races are offering hotels instead of staying in the tent villages. If you're thinking, oh, yuck, I hate camping. I don't want to sleep on the ground. I don't want to be part of a tent village. I'm not going to race well. I'm not going to be able to sleep. These are all definitely valid concerns and considerations. But I would highly recommend, especially if you're new to stage racing, that you should stay in the tents. And I've done lots of races where I've stayed in the tents, especially in my early days. And there are some races where you have to stay in the tent. There is no other option. And in my experience, the stage races where the race villages require you to stay in a tent, or if most people are tenting, those tend to be the most camaraderie-focused stage races. Because what happens is, you end up seeing the same people all the time. 
you end up walking around and seeing them. You end up eating dinner in the same place because most stage races are catered and everybody eats in the same place at the same time every day. And you end up just making really close friends. And I noticed that when I stay in hotels, I miss out a little bit on the community aspect of stage racing. You'll see people during the race. And typically while you're racing, you end up around the same people most days. But there's something really unique and really special to camping with a ton of different people, eating together, sharing all of your experiences together, and really making close friendships that are unique and different and really last a lifetime. As my husband Matt says, whenever everyone is staying in the tents together, he says, everyone is the same. They're tired and with crazy hair in the morning. And I can attest to that. I met Matt at the BC bike race in 2012. And that is actually how we met. So I got to see his crazy hair every morning and eat meals with him and just get to know him. And the amazing thing is you get to know people in a really different way at stage races, especially ones where everybody is staying in the tents together and eating together. None of the outside things in life matter. And while we might say, I don't think about some of these external things in society, what job people have, what car they drive, where they live, all those different things. None of that stuff really matters when you're at a stage race. Everybody is there because they have shared interest. They likely have shared values. And you connect on a different level than you would if you just met somebody out and about in town or in the city that you live in. So it's pretty cool. And you end up making friends that live all over the world because most stage races attract people from all over the world. And that's a pretty special thing to be able to connect. There's basically three types of stage races. There are enduro stage races, which are basically, I think all enduro stage races are blind. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I've done two enduro stage races. No, I've done three. Trans BC, Trans New Zealand, and Trans Cascadia, which is in Oregon. And all of those were six or seven day stage races. And instead of being point to point as fast as you can go, they had enduros every day that were blind. And I actually, I've never done an enduro where you could pre-ride. And I really enjoyed the blind enduro racing because I like the adventure aspect of it. And believe it or not, I actually prefer to ride trails blind. And I know that sounds crazy, but I really like the skill of being able to read the trail and commit and ride stuff without getting to see it first. Then there's cross-country stage races, which are the most popular there are two types of cross-country stage races. So there are the shorter cross-country stage races, which the majority, if not all, in North America are cross-country shorter stage races. And what I mean by that is the stages are maybe three hours long. They're not these like mega races. And a fast race time at a cross-country stage race would be like in the low 20s, 20 hours in a week, 20 to 25 hours. Then you have the mega ultra endurance XC stage races. That's like the Cape Epic, the Titan Desert in Morocco, the Brazil ride. Oh yeah, and La Leyenda in Colombia is another one. And these stage races are long. The stages can be up to seven to eight hours as a winning time. So as an amateur rider, you're going to be out there for quite a long time. And it's a really different style of racing compared to these shorter cross-country stage races. And the preparation is different as well. Another thing to note with these shorter XC stage races is that there's a lot more single track. And especially in North America, 
if you leave North America and do a stage race somewhere else, you're going to notice that there's going to be a lot less single track. And a lot of times it's going to be focused on fitness and adventure. Whereas in North America, a lot of our stage races are focused on having a really nice experience, having a lot of trail. And coincidentally, the stages are actually pretty short. I don't want to say that they're easier. They're easier in a different way. But as an endurance challenge, I would say they're a lot easier than some of the other ultra endurance races around the world. So if you're trying to pick a stage race to do, number one, figure out, do I want to do enduro, shorter cross country, or ultra endurance cross country? Pick one of those categories. And to figure out what you're interested in, think about what excites you the most. And no matter what you sign up for, you're guaranteed to learn a lot about yourself. You're guaranteed to get to ride a lot of one region or country or area, and you're guaranteed to make some friends. So you really can't go wrong. Some of the ultra endurance stage races I've noticed have turned into more of a hybrid, which is why I love them. So ones like the Brazil ride, or I was actually pleasantly surprised with Cape Epic to see that They will have really long stages with lots of really hard climbing, but they'll also be a fair amount of single track. And Brazil Ride actually has technical single track in their race. And a lot of these ultra endurance stage races, which are my favorite style of stage racing, because I love the challenge and I love how hard it is because it is hard. And when you're done, you feel super proud of your accomplishment. I just really like those. But a lot of times there is a mix of pavement, there's double track, there's gravel road, there's single track. Some of the stage races around the world are only like dirt road gravel style racing, but they're not like the gravel where you would actually ride a gravel bike. I don't want to knock gravel riding at all, but it's like crazy four wheel drive roads where you're really happy that you're on a mountain bike. If you're still having a hard time picking a race, I would recommend listing the countries that you want to visit in your life. And this is sort of how I pick stage races. I'll hear a country where the race is at and I just say, oh, wow, that sounds cool. I want to go there. And then I figure out the details after that. So pick a bunch of countries that you want to go to and chances are there's a stage race in that country. And a great resource that I like is the website stageraces.com. And also it has running stage races. There's a lot of trail running stage races. And I have to say that I'm really interested in those as well. And then the next category is now you've picked your country, you've picked your race. Not all stage races are solo. So in North America, the majority of our stage races have the central focus be on solo riding. And a lot of our North American races also will offer a duo category, meaning a team, a partner, a person that you have to ride with the entire time. And this is important to note that team stage racing is not relay racing like a 24-hour race where you trade off every lap. You ride the entire race together. So also determining if you want to be riding or racing solo or determining if you want to race with a teammate. There are some stage races that are only team. Typically, the team-only stage races are the really long ultra-endurance stage races. Some of it is for safety reasons because you're out there for a really long time and it's super remote. So having the safety of a teammate can be really good. And also, racing with a teammate is about strategy. And there is a lot that goes into racing and choosing a teammate. Everyone's different in terms of who they choose to race with. I've noticed that some people will race with people they've never even met before. And I think that that is a little bit sketchy. I've seen it go really well. And I've also seen it go horribly wrong because 
Stage racing with a teammate is a really vulnerable experience. And I'll, I'll explain. So when you're racing, you're going to be at your highest of highs and your lowest of lows. You're going to be in the throes of competition and everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly will come out. So some people communicate differently than others. And some people also like lose their cool to say it in the nicest way possible whenever they're on the race course. So determining what you can deal with is important and how you thrive and the type of person that you like to be around, what makes you thrive. Also, having similar goals and similar approaches towards the race itself are important. So if you're racing with someone who wants to win at all costs and they're cutthroat and all they care about is winning, that is totally okay. But just make sure that that's your goal too. It would be really frustrating if your goal was to win a race and then you're racing with somebody who didn't really care. Also, for me, I'm there to win for sure. I'm definitely racing to win whenever I go to a stage race, but that's not my number one priority. My number one priority is to have a good experience. And Cape Epic would be a great example. I did Cape Epic, which is an eight-day stage race in South Africa this year. And there were a few different partners that I could choose from, which was really cool in the women's category. But I wanted to choose a partner who was focused on fun and who was going to be laughing on the race course. And also your teammate, you typically spend 24-7 with them. So someone that I was just going to really enjoy their company first, someone who I knew had the same grit and mental toughness as me as well over the speed. And my teammate was also very fast. Her name was Catherine Williamson. And she's in fact won the Cape Epic before and she's done it seven times. But I wanted to choose a teammate who had my attitude towards racing and my attitude on the bike first. Another teammate that I love racing with that is like this is Gordon Wadsworth. And a lot of you guys are familiar with him. He and I have actually recorded podcast episodes together about our experiences racing mixed at stage races. And he and I both like to laugh and sing and scream and do all the fun things while we're, while we're racing, while we're at our limit on the bike. And in fact, we have a reputation now at some of the races as being the crazy people on bikes. So if choosing a teammate who you really want to spend 24-7 with, who you really enjoy riding with and having the same goals is, is super important. Number two with your teammate is before you even start the race, talking about communication strategies. So how are you going to decide how to communicate if you need one person to slow down? If you're the person who's the stronger rider, how are you going to deal with it if your teammate can't keep up or they get really tired? How are you going to deal with it as a team if you have a mechanical? So it's really important to realize that it doesn't matter if someone is faster or someone is slower. It doesn't matter if so-and-so had a mechanical you're a team and you operate as a team unit and you're only as strong as your weakest link. So making sure that you're taking care of that teammate is just of paramount importance. And I recorded a podcast episode about Cape Epic and I'll link up all of these episodes in the show notes because I've actually recorded quite a bit about stage racing already. And there's a lot of really valuable information in those episodes and especially specifically about those races. But just making sure that you have a communication strategy in place before the race even starts is just really important. I think it's also really helpful to always be thinking about your teammate and putting their needs before yours and trying to be as empathetic as possible. I should say that with team, there are three categories for teams. There are women's category where it's two women racing together. 
There's men's category where it's two men racing together. And then there's mixed category where it's a man and a woman racing together. And if you're interested in UCI and UCI points, there is no mixed UCI points category. There's mixed category at UCI races, but you can't earn points. So that also depends on what your goals are there. I'm guessing most people listening don't really care about UCI points. There, there aren't that many people who are that interested in UCI points. Something that I've noticed a lot about people racing team stage races, especially in the men's category, is that the men won't ride together. And there's a rule that you need to be within two minutes of one another. But if you're riding two minutes apart or even like 45 seconds apart, you can't even see each other anymore. And you might as well just be racing solo. So you're not actually working as a team if you're not riding together. So I don't want to judge, but I have a really hard time understanding why people don't ride together when they're racing as a team. Maybe they've decided that they don't like their teammate or actually I've seen people get competitive with each other within one team and that's also not very good. So it's best just to be a team, work well together and discuss your strategy before you even get started. There's also adjustments you're going to have to make during the race. Like there's going to be days where some people where one person is stronger than the other. There's days where there's just one person might be having a bad day. So it's just being aware that that is going to happen guaranteed. Okay, so two of the biggest questions that I saw over and over in the questions you guys submitted were about nutrition and about training. And those are very good questions, and I'm going to do my best to answer them. But also note that training and nutrition are very individual things. So with training, we all have different inputs. We all have different fitness levels and different availability, time availability to train. And with nutrition... What works for me might not work for you and your body can even change over the course of several years where what might have worked for you in the past doesn't work for you anymore. And as a bonus for sports nutrition, I'm going to be having a couple of really awesome women from Goo Energy Labs. They're one of my sponsors, but they're also leading the curve in terms of sport nutrition. And we're going to be doing a podcast in a few weeks about how to design a sports nutrition program that will work for you specifically. A lot of times I tell people what I do, but again, that's not necessarily going to work for you. So I'm really excited to have the Goo Energy Labs people on and have them tell you exactly how you can come up with your own nutrition program. Okay, so let's get into the training. How do you train for a stage race? So I'm going to only talk about cross-country and cross-country endurance stage racing. I'm going to leave enduro stage racing out of this podcast just because I think that there's a lot more people doing the cross-country type stage racing. Quick note about the enduro stage racing. There's a couple in Europe as well that I think are pretty cool. There's a uh, Trans-Provence. There is, there's one, I think it's on an island called Trans-Madiera. And there's another one in France as well, but I'm blanking on the name. So if you're interested in enduro stage racing, there's about six different enduro stage races that you can check out. So training for cross-country and cross-country endurance stage racing. Okay, so again, cross-country, when I say cross-country stage race, I'm talking about the ones that are three-hour stages, roughly. When I talk about cross-country endurance, I'm talking about the stage races where your race time is going to be 35 to 40 plus hours in a week. So those are two different types of racing. I think that the training is really different for both of these types of racing. So I'm going to start with cross-country stage racing, the shorter stage racing. And again, cross-country stage racing tends to be very single track heavy, which is awesome and fun. So first of all, 
and feel free to disagree with me. This is what's worked for me and what I think. But I think that you should be spending as much time as possible on your mountain bike. If you're going to be racing on your mountain bike, you're going to be racing your mountain bike for 20 to 40 hours in a week. To me, it makes sense to be spending as much time on that bike because it's different than being on a road bike. The position is different. The speed is slower. The equipment is different. Getting used to working on your own bike because some of these are pretty remote and you have to know how to fix your own bike. I'm definitely an advocate for riding your mountain bike as much as possible. People have asked about strength training. We've been seeing a lot of people posting on social media about strength training. And I have to say that I'm a bit late to the game with trying this out. I did it for about a month last year and I paid a trainer, but it ended up being just way too expensive for for what I could afford. And I stopped doing it. So for me, the type of strength training that I do for stage racing is all body weight stuff. I like an app called Swerk It, and there's tons of different apps you can get, but for whatever reason, I really like this one because it has different exercises and you can choose how long you do them for, but like 30 seconds or one minute, and it just goes through them for you automatically. And you can select if you want to spend five, 10, 15, 20 minutes doing this. So I try to do it four to five times a week when I have a stage race coming up. You can select core, you can select upper body, and all of it is just body weight work. And for me, that's been sufficient enough. But that said, I haven't really spent time in the gym doing like the deadlifts and the plyos and all of those different types of things. So I'm sure that that's going to be beneficial to you. But my only caveat with that is if you only have a certain set period of time to train and a certain number of hours in a day to train, doing the body weight stuff is something you can do at home and you don't have to pay a trainer or you don't have to worry about injuring yourself if you don't have a trainer, which is something I would worry about. So if you have a set number of hours that you can train, picking body weight stuff where you're doing core and upper body, super important for sure. And also making sure that you spend time on your bike. So what type of training should we be doing? For both types of stage races, XC and XC endurance stage racing, it's really important to build a strong foundation. And a lot of this is common knowledge, but especially for stage racing, making sure that you're consistent in riding every day or five days a week, if you can. I don't ride seven days a week. I ride five to six days a week, depending on my training and how I'm feeling. But making sure that you're just showing up to your workouts Because that can be really hard, especially for people who are working 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week and have kids and have a family. There's a lot going on and it can be really easy to skip your workout. So step one is make a commitment to yourself that you're going to show up for these workouts. And even if you don't have the energy and you're tired and you don't want to do interval training, even just riding your bike consistently for four to five days in a row will help you with stage racing. This is also something that I think is important. Doing a lot of low intensity work as your foundation is important for stage racing because you start building your system so that you can recover from day to day efforts. A lot of interval training will have like a really hard day, then an easy day, and then another really hard day, and then like a short easy day. And I would say for cross-country stage racing, that's really good because you need to have that really high intensity because cross-country stage racing is going to be at a much higher pace. The starts are going to be faster. The days are shorter. But making sure you show up, and I try to plan at least one or two weeks of training 
where I'm just riding back to back. I mean, it depends on the race, but try to do like three hours a day for three to four days in a row. Or if you can, five hours. Like it's different for everybody. It's hard for me to say a certain number of hours that you should ride, but commit to like a four day training block for endurance to start building mitochondria, building more capillaries, like riding at lower intensity helps you do all of these things. And then it's going to help you recover from the hard days that are back to back. So step one, make a commitment. Step two, ride consistently and start with a endurance training block so that you can do low intensity, longer rides that you can start building mitochondria and capillary beds. Or if you're Canadian, you would say capillary beds in your legs that helps for better blood flow. And that's going to help you recover from day to day. I would do that for a couple of weeks if you can. The next step is to start building some intensity on top of the foundation that you've just laid. This is where specificity really starts to matter. If you're doing an XC stage race, you want to train more like an XC racer. So doing LT and VO2 high intensity efforts, because that's the type of efforts you're going to be doing in the race. The net, if you're doing cross country endurance, I would say doing more sweet spot work in the 80 to 90% range and doing longer intervals in that 80 to 90% range, because chances are, if you're doing stages that are like 70 to hundred miles on the mountain bike on a daily basis, you're not going to be hammering off the front riding at this like crazy intense pace. And if you do, you're probably going to blow yourself up. So I'm a big fan of the sweet spot type work. How you can do that for these longer races is I like doing them on hills because a lot of stage races have a lot of climbing and you can do 10 to 20 minute intervals. And a lot of times people go out way too hard on these intervals. And the goal is to have a steady power for the entire time. And if you are somebody that uses an indoor trainer, I spent a lot of time on the indoor trainer on my Wahoo fitness kicker in the winter. And in fact, I've trained, I trained for Cape Epic on my Wahoo kicker, (laughs) which sounds kind of crazy, but I use the Wahoo fitness kicker and I use trainer road and there's tons of different training programs out there, but I like trainer road because it's really structured. It's really organized and it has really good workouts. So I like doing sweet spot workouts with trainer road and it's really easy to gauge your improvement and see the improvement in your fitness, which helps you feel more confident whenever race day comes around. As you get a little bit closer to your race and you've built this foundation of commitment, of consistency, of aerobic base, and then some sweet spot work, putting some of these high intensity efforts on top of it, even if you're doing an endurance stage race is good. So maybe commit to one or two per week in the four to six weeks before your stage race, because What's going to happen is it's a mass start. So except for if you're racing like a pro category, only some of the races have like a separate start for pros, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to talk about that here. Most of the stage races are mass start. So that means everybody starts together and there's different size stage races. I've done stage races with as little as 30 people and I've done stage races with 2000 people. So it depends on that. But a lot of times the starts are hard and everyone is riding way too hard at the start, just like any other race. And it takes an amazing amount of discipline to ride your own pace. And if you listen to my crush it Monday, you heard how I was in like fifth or sixth place at the start of this one day race I did over the weekend. And I ended up moving up into second place very, very quickly because everyone went out too hard and they blew up. So making sure that you understand pacing is really important, especially with the starts But having a little bit of intensity, like higher intensity in the bank, I think is good because 
If you need to pass somebody, you're going to have to go over that threshold. If you're going too hard at the start, you're going to be going over that threshold and hopefully you'll be able to recover from that. But you're not going to be able to really access that super high intensity after a couple of days in a stage race just because you're going to get too tired. And that's where your sweet spot and your tempo work really will matter. If you look at, if you're well-trained for a stage race, you're going to be riding mostly in that zone four, zone three type area in a stage race. The number of hours you need to train for a stage race is something that I don't have a true answer for. I train for the Cape Epic on like 10 to 12 hours a week of riding the trainer, which actually would equate to more riding if it was outside. I would have liked to have trained more, but I didn't really have the option because it was winter. And I would say that for a lot of people, you're never going to feel like there's enough time to train for a stage race. You're never going to feel like you did enough. It doesn't matter who you are. So I would say that figure out how much time you have. Look at your schedule. Also talk to your family because if you're training for three to six months for a race, there's going to be some sacrifices that are going to have to be made as a family and making sure that your partner is on board with that and making sure you communicate with them is I think really important because you're a team and it can be really hard whenever your partner is working and training and doing all those things. So having that communication in place is really good. If you're doing an ultra endurance stage race, making sure that you can train as many hours as possible while recovering properly is going to really help you. Again, not everybody has all the hours in the day. And also from an energy perspective, it's really hard to train 20 hours a week and not everybody can do that. So aim to train, get as many quality training hours as you can in and just commit to showing up every day. And I guarantee you, if you're doing a stage race and you just commit to riding every day between one to three hours a day, you're going to be fine. There's also expectations. And this is something that I have to talk with my husband, Matt, a lot about because he often goes and does the same stage races that I do. But Matt owns a business. He works a lot. He works long, long days. And sometimes he works on the weekend. So it's actually really hard for him to commit to the training that is needed for some of these stage races to perform at his fastest. So have the conversation with yourself. How many hours do I have to commit to this? And commit to just showing up and doing your best, but try not to have a high expectation if you have a really demanding job. You can have a goal of just going and finishing the stage race. And I have to say, that like maybe 60 to 70% of the people in the field are there just to finish. There's only a smaller percentage who are there to actually be racing. And in, in South Africa, they call those people racing snakes. So someone asked, when are you ready to, to do your first stage race? And I would say you're ready to do your first stage race as soon as you're ready to commit to riding seven to 10 hours a week. I would say aim for 10 to 15 hours a week if you can. And anybody can do it. I've seen people sign up for these. I saw someone sign up for the Mongolia bike challenge, which is a really crazy remote race. It's really long. And she had never done a bike race ever. It was her very first bike race. And I've seen people do the yak attack, which is a 10 day mountain bike race. I've done in Nepal who have never even done a bike race. They don't even consider themselves cyclists. So anybody can do a stage race and it's just setting your expectations appropriately. Are you there to finish and have fun or are you there to race and have fun? Having fun is something that you have to always have is your goal. So biggest takeaway with the training is commit to doing some training camps, some three to four day blocks where you're doing longer days. 
During those longer days, you can practice some of the strategies we're going to talk about soon, which is your routine of getting your bike ready, your routine of recovery and testing out some of your foods. So commit to some three to four day long weekend blocks if you can and build a training plan for yourself if you're not having a coach where step one, you're committed to showing up. Step two, you build an aerobic base. Step three, you do some sweet spot work. Again, how much you do is going to be dependent upon how you're feeling. But it's important to know that you're going to have easy days. A lot of people train by just going out and riding as hard as they can all the time. And that is not an effective way to train. So making sure that you have some structure there and uh, doing some sprinkling on the top of some high intensity before your race. So if you need a coach, I don't really have recommendations per se. There's a lot of different awesome coaches out there. You can look at Trainer Road. I use Trainer Road for training and they have training plans that you can sign up for. Someone actually asked me what training plan they should do if they're going to be doing a stage race. And they don't actually have a stage race training plan that I'm aware of. But looking at the marathon specialty training is a good place to start. So check that out. There's information online. I think you can buy like cookie cutter training plans for stage racing. But really getting a coach that understands stage racing and understands your life demands if you want to get really serious about training is probably the best place to go. If you are building your own training plan and you have questions for me, I'm not currently taking athletes to coach right now, but I'm happy to help. If you want to just shoot me an email and you want like to bump an idea off of me, I'm cool with that. So I'm here to help where I can with your training plan. I hope that was helpful. It wasn't crazy specific, but it's hard to be crazy specific because everybody is different. But that is kind of a structure that I use when I'm training for a stage race. Next is going to be our day-to-day routine during a stage race. So having a routine set will help you because things start getting crazy, especially with the really long races, because you don't have as much time to get things ready. So our routine. So there's going to be a time like the races all start at different times, but you're going to be probably waking up pretty early in the morning. So getting used to waking up early in the morning, figuring out what food you're going to eat. So again, it's kind of hard because some stage races are catered. And in fact, most are catered, but there are some stage races where you have to make your own food. And also of note, if you're like me and you have a plant-based diet, or maybe I'm not gluten-free, but if you're gluten-free, if you have like special dietary requirements, most stage races will accommodate that. A word of warning though, if you are plant-based is sometimes the protein content won't be super good. It'll just be like white pasta and red sauce every night. So I'll get into some things that I bring with me, but I try to bring a lot of my own food to some of these races to add on top of the food that's already being provided. Another word of warning with food at stage races is double check before you go. A lot of times only breakfast and dinner are included and not lunch. So you'll either have to save money and be prepared to spend money to go out and order or buy food or have your own food ready. (laughs) The food thing can be challenging at times. Okay, our routine. We wake up in the morning and we go to the bathroom or whatever. Then we go straight to breakfast. And what are we eating for breakfast? Well, this varies. Again, I've seen people eating like eggs and bacon and all this other stuff. I prefer to eat simply in the morning before a race. Number one, if it's really early, like a 6 a.m. start, I have a hard time eating. I don't, I feel sick and gross when I wake up at four in the morning. (laughs) I would say though, try to keep it to foods that you know you're going to be able to digest because a lot of times with stage races, you're not going to be eating three or four hours before 
you're probably going to be eating one to two hours before the start. So the closer it gets to the start, the more simple carbohydrates, the simple the food is that you should be eating. So I've seen people eat rice. I like eating like bread and, and almond butter or bread and jam, just keeping it really simple. But the key is just figuring out what works for you. I don't really change it up. If you have done other races, even single day races, oftentimes that breakfast plan will work. But it's just hard sometimes because you don't always have control because you're not making food. And I'm going to get into the mental space of stage racing. There's a lot of, of mental flexibility needed and, and preparation and things like that. So you eat your breakfast, making sure that you're drinking enough water in the morning before your stage. I like coffee and <laughs> I actually bring my own coffee to stage races. I bring my AeroPress and there's usually hot water available. If you're a coffee snob and you're picky like me, bring in your AeroPress and some ground coffee is a really good option or bring your own grinder. But it's hard because you have a lot of luggage that you end up bringing <laughs> to stage races. So you've had your breakfast. Now go to your tent or wherever you're staying and get dressed. A lot of times people will be eating breakfast in their chamois and to take care of your nether regions, not spending a crazy amount of time in your chamois, if you can help it, is a good thing. So go and you get your chamois on. A tip that I like is having the course profile printed and taped to your handlebar. And some races give you stickers for free of every single day's course profile. If they don't, I always have a backup printed out because you're not going to get to pre-ride the course. So I like to see how long the climbs are, where the aid stations are, and again, for really long stage races or even shorter days, if it's a hard day, I like racing aid station to aid station and breaking it up in my mind or even from climb to climb to break it up in my mind and knowing what to expect there can be really helpful. Figure out what time the start shoots open. And uh, some races will have like A, B, C, D, E based on where you finished the day before and they try and seed you in there, but you're still going to be in a, a clump. So Depending on what your goals are, if you don't care about being near the front, then just show up whenever. Just make sure that you're you're not late to the start. But if you want to get a good spot, make sure that you get there early enough. And this is really challenging because with warm-ups for stage racing, if you want to get a good warm-up in, but then you have to go there and stand there for 30 minutes beforehand, how do you get a good warm-up? And I don't have the answer to that. Warm-ups are still something that I struggle with. I still am not really sure... I feel like it depends on the day, like what I need to do for a warm up. And as a stage race progresses, I really noticed this with Cape Epic because the mornings were early and the days were long. My teammate and I would just like spin to the start and that was our warm up. Now, some of the other pro girls had rollers and things like that. We didn't have any of that stuff. Um, we were hundred percent self-supported. So we would just kind of spin to the start. And especially with the long races, you kind of warm up as the race picks up. And as you get tired, I don't know, I think just easy spinning to flush out your legs and get them moving is good because even for me in stage races, your legs get weightlifting sore. Like you will be sore and that's normal. So don't freak out about that. So you're at the start with or, or without your teammate, depending if you're doing a solo or a team race. I like to think about my day. I like to set my goal for the day. And my goal is normally to make sure that I'm having my best experience and riding my best. So it can be hard because stage races are really physically demanding and you're exhausted after a few days. So you might get up in the morning, your body might feel really sore, you might feel totally tired, but get to that start line and know that once it starts rolling, it's going to get better. 
there are days that are harder than others, but it's really amazing what stage racing teaches you. It shows you that you're more capable than you ever thought you were. Like you're way more capable than you ever imagined. Your body can do way more than you ever thought. And I think back to some of these races I've done, like I've raced in the Sahara desert or like in the Himalayas. And it's like, I thought that I was going to collapse some of these days at the finish line and I'll get up and do it again the next day. So knowing that everybody feels that way, and that is part of why you do the stage race to show yourself that you can keep going, even if you're tired, even if you don't think you can, that is the most important thing that you get out of a stage race and embracing that that's part of the experience. So your day starts off, you do the race. I'll get into sport nutrition and what works for me pretty soon. But again, that, that might not work for everybody. So you are, you do the race, you cross the finish line. And then this is when it gets really important because stage racing is you do the race, but what you do after the race is equally as important to the race itself. So you want to get to food as quickly as possible. So if you have a recovery drink, that's something that's really easy to access. Goo makes a great recovery drink. You can go to your tent. You can have somebody that has it for you at the finish, but getting calories in as quickly as possible is important. And even if it's not perfect, like eating food, like anything you can get at that finish line immediately, because you want to start recovering for the next day, how you feel the next day is definitely going to be related to how well you recovered and what you did after. So finish, get out of your chamois as quickly as possible. Take a shower. A note is make sure that you're using chamois butter in the races. If you don't know what that is, it's like a, a cream that you can buy. There's like different brands and you can put it on your chamois or, or on your crotch and you can use a lot of it. <laughs> something that I use if I get a chamois sore is something called polysporin and I think neosporin in the States. It also has a numbing agent in it. So if it hurts, it helps numb it and it helps it heal faster. I would love to hear some of your tips for chamois sores. If you have a good bike fit and you have a good chamois and you're staying clean, chances are you're not going to have any really bad chamois sores. I've had chamois sores, but nothing that's been really serious. And if I do get one, it goes away pretty quickly if I am using polysporin afterwards. After that, you want to get off your feet. So some recovery tactics that I like, I always make sure that I lay down for as long as I can. I typically say 30 minutes, but maybe up to an hour. I have a really hard time sitting still, so I will do that. If you have access to power, you can get something like the elevated legs, compression boots. Some races offer it. Another thing you could use, it's called the brand name. I don't know what the non-brand name is called, but it's called a Compex, and it basically are these electrodes that you put on your legs. It stimulates the muscles and makes them flesh out excess fluids. Stretching and foam rolling, especially the stretching part is really, really helpful because you're going to get tight and sore. And that's also going to help with injury prevention. I used to never get massages, mostly because I couldn't afford it. So if you can't afford massage, self-massage also really works. If you can't afford and you are saving money and budgeting for the stage race, I would highly recommend a daily massage. For me, it makes a massive, massive difference and the stage races often have their own massage team that travels with the race. So you can sign up in advance for daily massage. Eating as much as you can over the course of the stage race is going to be really good for you. Stage race is not a time to worry about calories. It's not a time to diet. Eat whatever you want as much as you can. Try to make it healthy. That's kind of what I say about stage racing because you're going to be burning so many calories. 
Your metabolism is going to be revved up after each stage and you're going to keep doing it day after day. So eating is your friend. And in fact, people get tired of eating because stage racing, you just need to be eating as much as you can. And again, eating healthy foods is going to be better for you. Putting in healthy foods is going to really be helpful for anti-inflammatory and just helping your body get what it needs to recover. If you're eating a bunch of junk food, that's probably not going to be ideal. If you're craving a little bit, that's fine, but try to eat as healthy as you can. After I've done all that stuff, I start my prep for the next day. Okay, so with cleaning. So if you don't have, I I would recommend if you're doing a stage race, have a minimum of two clean kits. You don't want to be washing the same kit the night before and then hoping that it's going to dry for the next day. Have as many kits as you can because it's kind of sucks doing laundry a stage race. But if you have to, I bring a little tiny thing of laundry soap and you can wash it in the sink or you can wash it under a tap. And then something that will help it dry faster is to get a towel and really tightly wrap your clothing up in a towel. A clean chamois is going to be your friend that's going to help you prevent saddle sores and also trying to clean your jersey. People can smell you if you're wearing a jersey that you've worn multiple days in a row. Maybe you don't care, but trying to keep stuff clean and just wash a couple times is is really good. Also checking over your bike. So you want to make sure that you wash your bike. A lot of times there's a bike wash and people will go to the bike wash before they've eaten anything. So definitely eat before you go to the bike wash. Washing your bike every day and checking over your bike is super, super crucial because anything can happen and stage races are really hard on equipment. So check all of your bolts, check your brake pads, check your tires, check your frame, make sure that everything is in good shape and ready to go and make sure your bike is clean and lubed up because mechanicals are not something that we want to deal with. And if you have even more money that you want to save in budget, stage races also have packages where you can pay a mechanic service. It is super awesome to have this if you can afford it. They take your bike, they clean it, they check it through, they fix it for you. It is well worth the money if you can afford it. So definitely do that or have a plan to clean and wash and check over your own bike. Even write down a list of all the things because you're going to get tired and you might forget something. I'm going to talk about off the bike hydration and making sure that you always have a water bottle near you. Like you don't need to be chugging gallons of water, but making sure that you have a water bottle near you and that you are drinking some electrolytes throughout the day after the stage is going to help set you up really nice for the next day. You will get swollen during a stage race. Like your body will start feeling swollen and that is normal and that is okay, but it's important to stay hydrated because that's going to help you get ready for the next day. Another thing that can be really hard at stage races, and again, this depends on your goals, but staying off your feet as much as possible is going to be really good for recovery. And I know it sounds obvious, but that can be really hard if you're in a really cool and exotic place, you're in a European town, or you're somewhere like you just want to go and and check things out and walk around, but that's going to be bad for recovery. So If you can, try not to do that. If you don't care, just be aware that there's an opportunity cost involved with being on your feet a lot. Some of these race villages that you stay in if you're tenting are huge. So there can be tents and then the food hall will be really far away and the massage is really far away and the bike park is really far away. So just being aware of your walking and trying to minimize those trips will help you recover faster. 
I like taking a branch chain amino acid supplement. Goo makes it. I also like taking the supplement beta alanine to help me recover at stage races and also a multivitamin just because your body is working so hard. If you have access to green smoothies or a green juice, that's also highly anti-inflammatory. So getting that could be really good too. Something that's not talked about as much as part of the day-to-day is making sure that you're having fun and making sure that you're having some social time because it's really easy to get so caught up in all of these details and then just to take it so seriously and making sure that you're just like talking to people. So like the day-to-day at a race village is that there's usually a chill zone, a place where people can just go hang out without having to walk around. And just, it's really fun to go make friends with people. So make friends, be social. That is a huge part of stage racing. What happens on the bike is the adventure part, but what happens off the bike is the social part. And making sure you're taking advantage of that is is really, really good. Getting as much sleep as you can is also really good. So going to bed as early as you can, taking things like melatonin to help you fall asleep, especially if you have jet lag. I like to use an eye mask and I also, I don't really like earplugs. I have trouble. They don't stay in for me. So actually I'll get earbuds and I just won't plug them into anything. And just putting those in my ears can help block out some of the noise. Another thing is, and I'll be doing a crush it Monday with some sleep tips, but I like this app called noisily. It's N O S L I I. I think it's like five bucks, but it's like a sound machine on your phone. And it has, I think it has like 12 different types of sounds and you can mix and match and you can create your own sound mixes. And I use that every night. So like anything that's going to help you sleep is going to really be the most important thing that you can do for recovery. And some of the race villages can be really loud. So just getting as comfortable as you can. Also, if you're sleeping in the tent, bringing your own pillow, if you can fit it or just bringing an additional pillow like a travel pillow. Like I actually like hugging a pillow and it feels weird for me if I'm sleeping on my side and I'm not hugging something. Another thing that you could do is just bring a pillow case and you could jam a bunch of clothes in it and use that as a second pillow. So just making sure you're going to be as comfortable as possible is going to help you sleep better. Checking the weather is also going to be helpful. So you know what the temperature is going to be like during the day and at night and being able to prepare in advance. So if it's going to be a hot stage race, you can do some heat training for it. I haven't really learned about cold weather training, but I think that there's some cold weather adaptation that you can do and figuring out how you're going to adapt. Because like if you're camping and it's hot the entire time, you're never going to be able to get out of the heat. So just being able to make sure that you're hydrating extra, that you are used to the heat, that's going to really help. So what happens if it rains? I've done lots of crazy rainy stage races. They will sometimes even cancel stages. Like they'll cancel an entire day because of weather. I've had to stay in a tent for three days with three days of canceled stages because of the rain. There's going to be anything that's going to happen. The hardest thing about the rain is that it's hard on your nether regions because there's going to be all this dirt that gets in your chamois. So making sure that you're taking care of that with using like polysporin and keeping it as clean and dry as possible when you're off the bike and getting out of that chamois as soon as possible. Another tip for rainy is I will wear baggies if it's raining because baggies provide a barrier from the grit getting in your chamois. And over the course of a race, that's going to be really helpful to keep that barrier. I also have a super light packable rain jacket. There's a lot of great brands out there. Gore makes a great one. The current one that I'm using is a 7Mesh. 7Mesh makes several super light, awesome rain jackets. 
So making sure that you have those. And in addition to that, having a bigger rain jacket, because when you get off the bike and you're hanging out at the race village, you're going to want another rain jacket to wear, and it doesn't have to be a race rain jacket. So bringing two rain jackets in terms of shoes, I like bringing shoes that have Gore-Tex in them. I mean, off the bike shoes, if you are, and then to dry out your bike shoes, you can stuff newspaper in them to help them dry. If it's been rainy, I bring two different types of sunglasses. I bring a yellow photochromatic lens, and then I bring a clear to dark photochromatic lens as well so that I wear for any condition. I also bring different types of gloves. I have just my regular gloves and then I bring my gloves for if it gets cold and rainy. I always have a skull cap in my bag. I have base layers. Even if the weather is good, I bring everything and I will put a download link. I need to figure out how to get it in my um, show notes, but I'll put a download link for my travel pack list. I use it for all stage races and pretty much any bike trip. And it has a checklist of things and you can decide what you want to bring and what you don't want to bring. But being as prepared and as organized as possible is going to be really helpful. And in terms of packing, I pack each kit in a separate Ziploc bag. So I'll have a chamois, a sports bra, a jersey, and socks in each bag. So if you're fortunate and you have multiple kits, packing them so that you're not digging through a bag trying to figure out, oh, where's my where's my other glove? Or, oh, did I mention that I put gloves in the in the kit bags too? I don't know if I did, but making sure that you have all that organized. And then I'll have a bag for my cold weather gear. So a bag that has my knee warmers, my arm warmers, and my leg warmers in one bag. I'll have a bag that has base layers in it. So just trying to organize the best you can because things are going to get messy. You're going to get tired. And just having that that first line of defense against chaos is going to be really helpful. Okay, so we have two parts left. We have the mental game and then we have sports nutrition. And I kind of feel like I should have started with mental game because I don't know how many people are going to make it this far in the podcast. Hopefully it's still interesting and still giving you guys helpful and useful information Again, if there's something I'm not answering, send me an email. I'm always available for you and I'm happy to answer your questions. People reach out to me on a weekly basis asking me about racing. So I'm happy to help you out in any way I can. Oh, I forgot to mention one more thing that's helpful to bring when you're packing is bringing surgical gloves for rain and cold. That's going to help your hands stay warm. So put the surgical gloves on and then put your riding gloves on top of that. That's a, a good little hack. And also bringing a shower cap if you don't want to bring like a, a toque or a, <laughs> so Canadian of me, a, a beanie or a skull cap, a shower cap. When you're in a hard pinch, that can help save you. Okay, the mindset piece. This is my favorite thing about life. <laughs> if you can't tell, I love talking about attitude and our perception and all of these different things. And almost everything I've learned is through stage racing, because as I mentioned earlier, you are pushing yourself to a limit where emotionally you're going to be raw. You are going to feel the extremes. And the really cool thing about stage racing is that there aren't very many places or times in our lives where we are physically exhausted, mentally exhausted and emotionally exhausted, but still pretty happy. And it gives us access to a part of ourselves that we may not have ever accessed before. And this is such a great opportunity to learn about ourselves and to get better and to learn things that we can apply to our lives. I feel like I could record an entire podcast just about the mental side of things. So number one, you will have setbacks guaranteed. So don't go into a stage race expecting everything to go well. Don't expect for everything to feel good. You're going to get tired. You're going to have bad days. There's going to be things that are going to happen. 
but that doesn't have to be bad. It's just part of the experience. So if that happens, say this is what stage racing is about. And also if you're having a bad day, tell yourself that it's not permanent. It's not going to last forever. There can be like day four where you have like a horrific, horrific day. You feel like you're barely going to finish the day. Then you'll wake up the next morning and you'll feel way better the next day. So the body is a funny thing. The body will adapt. The mind is what's going to get you through. So focusing on impermanence and knowing that it's going to end. Also knowing that everybody else is suffering too. We tend to assign people as being better than us. I know I do it all the time. And I have to remind myself that if I'm hurting, the people around me are hurting too. And that's okay. So just thinking about that and being aware that you're not alone in how you feel is going to be helpful to get through whatever difficult emotion. Also in a stage, especially in single day long races, even short races, you can be on an emotional roller coaster. You can be feeling amazing and being so happy one second. And then like 10 minutes later, you feel terrible and you wonder why you signed up for this stupid race and you're going to quit riding your bike forever. You're never going to do this again. And then you just keep going and then you swing back to being like, oh, this is awesome. So it's okay if you're not happy the whole time. That doesn't mean that you should quit the race. And speaking of quitting, there's going to be moments where you're going to want to quit and don't quit. Just know that you will get through it. You will quitting lasts forever. You'll regret quitting as long as you're not in danger. I have quit one race and I don't regret it. It's the only stage race I've ever quit. And it was La Ruta. And I was so incredibly ill so sick. It took me three hours to go six miles and I could barely move. And I knew that if I didn't quit the race, I would be quitting the race in a hospital. So knowing that if you get sick, you it's good to start the day to see how it's going to go, but don't continue if it's going to be detrimental to your health. But it's normal to have feelings of wanting to quit. That's good. That means that you're really pushing yourself. And if you get to the point where you feel like quitting because it's so hard or you're embarrassed because of your results, we've all been there. And it's what you do next that matters most because that is where resilience comes from is keeping going when you want to quit. And that's going to go into all these other areas of your life when you get home because you're going to remember the good moments, but you're really going to remember the hard moments. And you're really going to remember how you felt and what you did. And the next time something hard comes up, you're going to think back to that time where it was really hard and you didn't quit and it's going to make you stronger. So don't quit the race unless you're in danger. (laughs) There's also ways not to quit if something bad happens. At the Transylvania Epic a few years ago, I'm super bummed that this happened, but I had had an unfortunate thing happen. I broke my frame (laughs) and I was in the leader's jersey. I was feeling good. And when that happens, that's a catastrophic failure. I had had a really bad crash on the first day of the race and it had caused some serious damage to the bike. That was my fault. But instead of quitting the race, like... I'm not going to get the leader's jersey back. Game over. Frame is broken. We're walking our bike now. I actually walked for a while and then I saw someone and I asked them if they had a bike I could borrow. And it was like a Walmart type bike, but I borrowed their bike and I finished the stage. I got an hour time penalty for accepting outside support. And there was no way that I was going to be in the running for a result anymore, but I didn't quit. And that was really important to me. So you can get creative with things. If you get a flat tire and you are multiple flat tires and you can't fix it, You can actually like zip tie or tape just the tire to the rim. So it's tighter. I've seen people ride that. If you slice your tire, you can get like a gel packet. 
I always carry a derailleur hanger with me. So if something happens to my derailleur, I have a spare hanger or just commit to riding like two gears. If you only have two gears, basically for me, I don't quit unless I have to. (laughs) So even if you think that because something's broken on your bike, you can't continue, chances are you'll still be able to continue if you get creative. Another example of uh, not quitting would be I did this 10 day race in Nepal called the yak attack and I did a Ted talk about it and I'll put that in the show notes, but it was my first attempt. I have done it twice now, but no woman had ever finished it before. And I wanted to be the first one. It was 10 days. It went up to 18,000 feet. It was just an insane race. And I got to day nine out of 10 and my brakes failed completely. And I had a walk for seven hours. I mean, there's another example. You can get to that finish line. You just have to commit to it. And I am so glad I didn't quit. So That's my long pep talk on not quitting. And again, I mentioned that you might finish the day and you might feel like there's no way that you're going to be able to start the next day. Or you might wake up in the morning and go to the start line and feel like there's no way you're going to be able to finish the stage. That is part of stage racing and it's normal and the pros feel it, the amateurs feel it, everyone feels it. So that is normal and just show up and keep going. Another thing to think about is there's going to be heart rate drift. So if you use a heart rate monitor, the first couple of days you'll have a normal heart rate. And then over time, you'll notice that you can't get your heart rate up anymore. So like what normally would be like 170 heart rate might now be a maximum of 140 heart rate. And I don't know if that's healthy for you, (laughs) but that's actually really normal as well. So again, if you're struggling in the race and the reason why I choose the races that I do is because I want to struggle. I want to go to that dark place where I'm completely dismantled into a raw emotional state because that is where you learn the most. That is the most important thing I think about life is to put yourself in challenging situations where you get to choose what kind of person you want to be. And that is why I've been stage racing for 10 years. That is why I keep seeking out the next adventure and just realizing that that is just the best thing about it, even though at the time it might seem really hard. For more mental strategies, the Crush It Mondays so far have been about mental strategies, dealing with self-doubt, focusing on getting better, not comparing yourself to other people, just working on yourself, working on your mental game. It'll help you in stage races. It'll help you anywhere in your life. But stage races is like a crash course in figuring out your attitude and how to be better. Okay, so we're going to talk about race nutrition. Disclaimer, again, what works for me might not work for you. But for me, I pretty much do everything on gels. (laughs) And some people think that's crazy. Like I do 100 mile mountain bike races only on gels and chews. And the same goes for stage racing. It can get quite heavy in your luggage if you're bringing like 100 gels. And it sounds kind of gross, but I'll eat 100 gels in a really, really long stage race. So again, what I do for my gels, and we will cover this in the nutrition plan podcast I'm going to record. And they'll have other strategies other than just eating gel. But what works for me is because I'm operating a really high intensity most of the time is I eat three to four gels per hour. I put my gels in a gel flask. You can buy soft flasks on the Goo website and I'm sure you can get other soft flasks, but those are the ones that I know about. And I add water to the soft flask and I shake it up so that I can drink the gel. And it also eliminates garbage. It eliminates the mess of having to deal with a gel packet It eliminates the energy of having to open a gel packet. And if it's technical, it eliminates that problem as well. I have Goo Roctane. Goo Roctane has extra amino acids in it, which will help prevent muscle breakdown. So I drink Goo Roctane on the bike and I alternate between one bottle of Goo Roctane and one bottle of water. 
In addition to that, I wear a Camelback Chase bike vest. And that is, in my estimation, the best hydration pack there is because you can still access your pockets. A lot of hydration packs are so long that you can't get in your pockets. And in my pockets, I like to have my food. I like to have, I use a Topeak 22 multi-tool. I like to have, I'll talk about the other stuff I carry in a second, but I like to have my pockets available for my stuff. And then the Camelback has 50 ounces. So I usually just have water in the Camelback and then I'll alternate between Roctane and water as I go to the aid stations. And for drink, if you are picking and want your own drink mix, I know Goo does this. You can buy individual packets of the powder, or you could just put powder in a Ziploc bag and stick that in your pocket if that's part of your nutrition program. Another thing is that I tape electrolyte capsules to my stem. Someone actually asked me once if that was doping, like if it was my dope. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, it's just electrolyte pills. <laughs> so you can tape that to your bike. I've seen people tape food to their bike as well. So I have those. If it's really hot, you'll want to have multiples of those. I'm not a big time cramper. If you are a big time cramper, I recommend taking a magnesium supplement. There's lots of different brands. Goo just started making a magnesium supplement. And speaking of supplements, when I'm traveling, especially to a foreign country, I'm also taking a probiotic to help me not get sick. I could record an entire podcast on uh, foreign countries and all the craziness that happens there. But a quick little blurb about foreign countries is even if people say the water is safe, don't drink the water. And in in places you can read online about the water, but I won't even let the water touch my lips in the shower or rinse my toothbrush on the water. The only time I've ever drank the water when someone told me that it was safe to drink the water was in Costa Rica, La Ruta. And guess what? I got sick. So I don't ever drink the water, even when people say it's good. I don't put it on my toothbrush. I don't let it touch my lips. So just be careful with the water. Okay, so three gel per hour, three to four gel per hour with water, drink water with the gel, but do what works for you and use it in training. But the biggest, most important thing is to make sure you're eating regularly on the bike. Don't forget to eat. Eat things that are easy to digest. Like if you're eating bacon at the bacon (laughs) aid station and all those things, like I honestly don't know if that's going to help you. It might taste good. It might improve your spirits, but I don't know if that's going to help you perform on the bike. Another thing that is really helpful is Coke, Coca-Cola. If there's a Coca-Cola aid station, take that. I like to mix Coca-Cola and water together in my bottle instead of just straight Coca-Cola because that'll help you absorb the sugar. You could skip the hydration pack if you wanted to and just put a bottle in your pocket I personally don't like having a bottle in my pocket because it actually makes my back hurt because the bottle doesn't sit perfectly even on my low back and then it'll make one side of your back work harder than the other and then it'll make my like low back hurt. And I also don't like the feeling of it bouncing up and down when I'm riding technical terrain. So I like the Chase bike vest because it doesn't move around when I'm riding and I can put stuff in it like I put it. Okay, so here's what I carry. I put a Topeak pump, like a little mini pump in my pack. Some people think it's overkill to carry a pump, but there are times where your CO2 fails, or if you have so many flats where you're out of CO2s, knock on wood, I've never had that happen, but I've seen it happen. So in my pack, I have my water. If I need a raincoat, my raincoat's in there. I have my pump. I have my tire lovers and I have my tube. If my tube is not taped to my bike. Then in my pocket, I have my CO2s 
and I have my multi-tool. And the reason why those are in my pocket instead of in my bag or in my saddle bag, and I've, this is through experience guys, is if you get a flat, you're not going to want to be digging through your bag, trying to get the CO2 out. You want it to be quick draw, ready to go. Or if something happens on your bike and you need to fix it really quick, you want that multi-tool readily available. And in fact, I've pulled my multi-tool out of my pocket while riding and made adjustments to my bike because sometimes that happens. So having that available and ready to go. I also have a quick link that I tape to my bike for your chain in case your chain breaks. On my Topeak multi-tool, I take the one that it's a, it's a little bit heavier, but I make sure that I take the multi-tool that has a chain tool built in because even if you have a quick link, chances are you're probably still going to need a chain tool. Another thing are the plugs. So there's tons of different brands out there, but I, I don't know what they're called except for plugs, but it's like this little rubber, it's like a rubber twist tie is what it looks like. And you have this little mini stick. It's like a little, I don't know, it looks like a little mini screwdriver almost, and you can plug it your tire. So if you slice a sidewall, you jam it into your sidewall and you twist and then you pull it out. I'd recommend practicing with those things. A brand name I can think of is Dynaplug. I think another brand name is Snug Plug. I think genuine innovations might make them as well, but getting familiar with how those work that way on race day, you're ready to go and your tire will actually last for a really long time. Like it'll last days with one of those plugs in there, as long as you have enough stands sealant to help plug the hole. There will be stocked aid stations at most stage races. So if you are feeling hungry, like there has been the odd time where I feel hungry, I'll actually eat something in the aid station and that is okay. Just try not to eat something that you've never eaten before. I've eaten chips in the middle of a race. I don't remember where that was, but I was eating. I would like roll up to the aid station. I grabbed two handfuls of chips and just smash my face <laughs> into the chips. In New Zealand, I raced the Pioneer with Gordon. They had these like candies. These like, I think they were like little rockets, these little candies that we were eating. So it's okay to eat the food at the aid station, but just have your basic nutrition plan ready. And then if you need to ad lib, do that at the aid stations. I know I've covered a lot. I'm trying to see if I forgot anything scrolling through. Someone asked about altitude stage race tips. You will recover slower at altitude if you're not from altitude. So like the Breck Epics at altitude, the La Landa, Del Dorado and Columbia is at altitude. Your recovery won't be as good at altitude. You need more water and you need more carbohydrates. And also from a pacing perspective, if you go out too hard and blow up, you're probably not going to recover. So just keeping those things in mind. And I will actually be recording, I think next week, a entire podcast episode on how to prepare for altitude with a really famous and brilliant sports physiologist. So stay tuned for that. And we will answer specific tips about altitude for you with that episode. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Acupuncture for jet lag works wonders. I just started doing it last year and it has worked over and over and over. And I've had some major issues with jet lag, not just with sleeping, but with my nervous system not working at all. So like it usually happens with the eight to nine hour time change. So if you're going to Europe or Africa, that tends to be the time change there. And I'll go a week early, like before I started doing acupuncture before a big trip. I would go and I'd be there a week before and I still wouldn't be able to get my heart rate up. Like I would pedal and it just, my body just wouldn't respond. It would be like asleep, And it, it was, it sucked. Like last time this happened was at Andalusia bike race last year. This is right before I learned about acupuncture for jet lag, but I literally couldn't get my heart rate over 150 for the first three to four days of the stage race. And that sucked because I was slow and I was frustrated and I, 
like 150 is like a zone two, like upper zone two riding pace for me. It's not a race pace. And if your heart is not beating fast enough to accommodate what you're trying to demand of it, it's not pumping enough blood to your muscles. So your muscles aren't going to feel good and you're not going to be able to pedal as fast. So that was a problem. So yeah, try acupuncture if you have jet lag problems. I really wanted to share that with you. Someone asked me if I have superstitions and I'm actually not a superstitious person at all. Oh, and this reminds me of another mental tip I mentioned earlier, or I said that I was going to talk about, and that's flexibility with the stage racing. You're not going to have a lot of control. Like meal times are not going to be when you choose them. The food there isn't going to necessarily be what you would choose. There's going to be recovery things that happen that are out of your control. So you have to really like go with the flow and just be flexible. And what you're going to learn is that some of the things that you think are essential to a good race performance and that you're super stuck on, you'll find out that those things actually don't matter that much. And then it's going to make things easier for you for your later races. All right. Well, I think that that is a lot of information on stage racing. If you have specific questions about stage racing that I did not cover or questions that are just specific to you, feel free to email me through my website. I also have a free newsletter. Just go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter where I occasionally send out free tips and good stuff like that. Basically, you guys should do a stage race. It is definitely worth it. It will bookmark a time in your life. You'll make friends that you never knew that you would be able to have. And you're going to learn so much about yourself. Okay, I'm going to do a rapid fire list of just a bunch of the stage races that I've done. There's some that I haven't done that I want to do. Uh, there's a few left. <laughs> but here is just kind of like a quick list if you're just looking for ideas. And I'll just say the name of the race and where it is. Breck Epic in Colorado, Yak Attack in Nepal, Brazil Ride in Brazil, La Leyenda del Dorado in Colombia, Trans Andes in Chile, Single Track 6 in Canada, Trans Rockies in Canada, Trans Rockies in Moab, Sudity Challenge in Poland, Beskidi Challenge in Poland. Poland's awesome. Uh, Rumble in the Jungle in Sri Lanka. Some of these don't exist anymore. Alpac Attack in Argentina, Mountain Bike Aidi in Haiti. I'm just going through a list on my website here. The Pioneer in New Zealand, Mongolia Bike Challenge in Mongolia, Titan Desert in Morocco, BC Bike Race in Canada. Trans New Zealand Enduro Stage Race in New Zealand, Trans BC Enduro Stage Race in BC, Trans Cascadia Enduro Stage Race in Oregon, Pisgah Stage Race in North Carolina, Transylvania Stage Race in Pennsylvania, Andalusia Stage Race in Spain, Joburg to Sea Stage Race in South Africa, Cape Epic Stage Race in South Africa. And here's a quick note, South Africa has more than 42 stage races, three day up to 10 day stage races. I mentioned some of the enduro stage races in France, other stage races I haven't done, Swiss Epic, Four Island stage race in Croatia. I don't know if they're still doing Trans Germany, but Trans Germany stage race in Germany, La Ruta stage race in Costa Rica, Mongolia bike challenge in Mongolia. There's a number of stage races in Australia that I haven't done yet. There's the Crocodile Trophy, there's Port to Port. I also think there's one called Cape to Cape in Australia. I think there's a stage race in Tasmania that happens every other year, which I haven't done yet, but I'm interested in. So there's a lot of stage races out there. Go to stageraces.com. 
or you can go to my website if you're curious about some of those hover over contact and then race results and then you'll just see a list of all the stage races that I've done. Awesome, guys. Well, I hope that that was helpful for you. That was a lot of information. I feel like in old school, whenever Will Ferrell is at the debate club and he's all like crazy and then all of a sudden he just starts talking and then he's like, oh, what just happened? That's how I feel like after recording the stage race. So hopefully that was good. And I'm stoked that you're here. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, we'll be back with our interviews. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here really soon. Bye.